Romans chapter 5. And I hope you have been enjoying our little trek through the book of Romans. We may pause at some point and deal with some other themes, but uh, we needed to keep on going from where we've been. <clears throat> it would not be prudent to pause where we did last week. And uh, good to have Maddie home with us this weekend. Really glad to see her. I'm so proud of the young lady that she's become. And just, uh, just a joy to have her here with us this weekend. <clears throat> Romans 5, we're going to talk about what difference can one man make? Now, last week, the, the introductory part of, uh, of chapter 5, Paul talked about all the benefits of salvation, all the many benefits of salvation. We have peace with God. We've been justified. We have hope. We can rejoice even in suffering because we know that, that ultimately we're going to be glorified because God, the, one that, the ones that he justifies, he also glorifies according to Romans chapter 8. And our hope will not lead to disappointment. <clears throat> now, he, 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 uh, he anticipates, I suppose, the objection that some might have. Some might say, how is it that one man can affect an entire uh, race, the human race? How is it that one man, one man's uh, sacrifice can take care of everybody's sin? And so Paul is going to masterfully and brilliantly show us that we have already been affected by one man forever. Now, the, the impact of this one man, and his name is Adam. By the way, Christianity and evolution are incompatible. You cannot be a Christian and believe in evolution. Because Jesus Christ said that it started with one man. That in the beginning he made male and female. The Apostle Paul's argument here is arguing from the assumption that God created the universe, six days, rested on the seventh day, and that he started with one man. God made one man out of the dust of the earth. And he was a mature man. He wasn't a baby. He was not an amoeba. He was, uh, he was certainly not a monkey. He, God created one man. And from that man, he created a woman, Eve. The woman was deceived. She, she listened to the lie of the devil, the serpent, and she partook of the forbidden fruit. However, Adam is the one who's rightly held responsible as the head of the human race. So Paul is going to operate under the assumption that creation is a truth and that the whole human race started with one man. His name's Adam. His name means man or humanity. Adam is the representative of all humanity. Now, some of you, some of you may not realize this, but, but there's a lot of work that goes into uh, beautifying this cemetery out here. Uh, Jerry and Becky do a fantastic job and uh, making sure this campus is beautiful. And, uh, and, and it's just a lovely place. It's, it's so peaceful. But you know what? This cemetery behind me is a reminder of the consequences of one man's action. <laughs> one man's action. Okay? Now, there's three phrases that I want you to pay attention to in what I'm going to read this morning. Number one is the word one. O-N-E. It appears in the Greek text a dozen times. In your English translations, whether you're King James or NIV or ESV or New King James, it'll appear anywhere from a dozen to 13 times. 
okay? The word one, and it is intentional. You're also gonna see this, this word rain, not R-A-I-N, but R-E-I-G-N. Did I spell it right? Rain or rained, okay? The third thing is this phrase, much more, much more. Now, we're gonna contrast Adam with Jesus Christ. Adam, his, his actions were narrow in their scope, although they were universal. Jesus Christ, his action, his sacrifice, his benefits are much more. So one, reign, and much more. Let's get into it. Romans 5, verse 12. Paul says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all men have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure, the Greek word there is tupos, it means type. He is a type or a figure of him that was to come. That's a, that's a euphemism for the Messiah. He's the coming one. Remember what John the Baptist said, are you the one that should come or do we look for another? So this is a euphemism for Messiah here. <clears throat> Adam is a type of Jesus. All right, verse 15. Now we're going to contrast how Adam is not like Jesus, or Jesus is not like Adam. But at, not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I'm just going to pause and say hallelujah. <laughs> Verse 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life, by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this is a mouthful, brothers and sisters. So I'm going to ask you to agree in prayer with me that God will guide my little tongue here to say exactly what he wants me to say, no more, no less, and to hide me behind his cross. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I humbly bow before you. I worship you. I glorify you as the creator and the sustainer of the universe. God, let them not hear me. Let them hear you. Let me speak as the oracles of God this morning. Father, hide me behind the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray if there's anyone here today who has not yet been born again, Lord, we're all under, we're all born in Adam, but we're not all in Christ. And so, Father, I pray that we would all today be in Christ Jesus, into, in, enter into his domain, into his kingdom by virtue of the new birth. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Bear with me this morning. I've got a lot to say, but I'm not going to take all day to say it. This is probably one of the most complex, although concentrated, passages in the entire Word of God. This is not an appendix. This is not a footnote here. This is an important um, tenet, if you will, of the doctrine of justification by faith. Paul has been building, he's been building a case, uh, almost like a legal brief, if you will, from the first chapter of Romans, he introduces a righteousness from God, the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is, is offering salvation not only to the Jew, but also to the Gentile, to all that will believe on him. And then he goes into great detail for the first three chapters, um, dealing with the depravity of humanity. The, the pagan worships the creature more than the creator. The moralist is no better off. He's a hypocrite, even though he judges himself by others. He's still a sinner. And then in chapter 3, uh, he includes the, the religious person too. He's condemned as well. And then finally, uses the Old Testament to prove that there is none righteous. No, not one. Not a single human being that has ever lived is perfect before God on his own. So then in chapters, the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4 and 5, Paul talks about justification by faith. You know how people were saved under the Old Testament? The same way they are in the New Testament. By grace, through the means of faith. Faith is the conduit by which grace is received. Abram believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. David said, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Blessed are they whose sins are forgiven. Now he's talked about the benefits of being at peace with God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so now he anticipates the objection. Some people will say, well, what difference does one person make? You know, that's what the world says about Jesus. They say, well, he's just one man, you know. Uh, most people believe that there was a historical figure named Jesus Christ. Most uh, History will bear this out. But the people who are not born again, they say, well, what difference does this one man and his life make? Well, I'm going to show you from the Word of God today what difference one man's life can make. And we're going to begin with the first man, and his name's Adam. Paul says in verse 12, By one man sin entered into the world. This is a fact. By one man sin entered into the world. The reason for all of the problems in the world. Now this, this text this morning is going to, now I know it won't satisfy the skeptic, but it, it takes, account, takes into account why terrible things happen in the world. Why there's suffering, why there's sickness, and ultimately why there's death. Death is a universal problem. Would you agree with me? Death is a universal problem. By, by one man, sin entered into the world. Now, what happened when Adam sinned is that sin brought something along with it. It brought its companion, which is death. Paul would say later on, the wages of sin is what? Death. Listen to the progression here. Sin came into the world by one man. And by sin, then death came. <clears throat> then I want you to notice the third thing at the end of verse 12. It says that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, I've got to unpack this, because there's about 100 commentaries that will tell you 100 different things. What does this phrase mean, all sinned? Now, this is in the Greek in the aorist, the aorist tense, which means it's a past, it is a past action. So how is it? That Paul can say that all sinned. How can he say that? Well, I'm going to tell you. He's going to say that we all sinned in Adam. Now, 
death is a universal problem. Notice it says that death passed unto all men. Now, when you look in the book of Genesis, uh, I don't want you to turn there right now. Turn there on your own time. And I know because I told you not to, some of you are going to do it anyway, right? Because that's human nature. But Genesis 5 is what I call the obituary uh, column of, of the Word of God. Uh, I used to work for the radio station, WIXE, and, and uh, years ago, at lunchtime, every day, we would play a dirge on the radio, and they would read the obituaries. And finally, my buddy Archie did away with it, because he said, that's the most morbid thing. And people were so mad when we did that, when, when, when they did away with the obituaries, because folks just loved listening to, uh, to, to, to the ones that had died, and I guess being thankful that they were still alive, I don't know. But, uh, but it was just a depressing thing, you know. And Genesis 5 is the obituary column of the Word of God. It's the book of the generations of Adam. And, and one by one it says, well, so-and-so lived for X amount of years, and he had sons and daughters, and he died. And so-and-so lived X amount of years, he, he begat sons and daughters, and then he died. And so-and-so lived, and he begat sons and daughters, he lives X amount of years, then he died. And so-and-so lived for X amount of years, he begat sons and daughters, he lived X amount of years after that, and then he died. And death, and death, and death, and death. There's one notable exception, and there's this fellow named Enoch, and I can't dwell on him this morning. But he is the one that walked with God, and then he was not. He was taken prior to the judgment. And I believe that the church is going to be taken out of this world prior to the tribulation period. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming again. But we're not going to talk about Bible prophecy this morning. But Genesis 5, with the, with the notable exception of Enoch, is an obituary. It is a statement of death. Death, 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 death. That's the result of sin. That is the result of Adam's choice. <clears throat> Are you with me? So how is it that all have sinned? And I, some, I know some will object. And they'll say, well, I wasn't there in the Garden of Eden. How is it that I sinned? How is it that, uh, that, I have, uh, that I am guilty? Well, it's because Adam is your representative. This is the concept in, in theology of federal headship. Adam represents each and every one of us. And some of you are saying right now, well, I don't believe that. Okay, stay with me. You will before it's over with, if God will touch your heart. How is it that all men sinned? All right. Now in verse 13, Paul kind of interrupts himself. The Holy Ghost has inspired him to kind of interrupt his, his train of thought here. He says, for until the law, that's why it's in parentheses here. It's kind of an interruption into the, uh, the section. It says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now, why would Paul say this here? Because we know that violation of the law brings death. If you, if you disobey the thou shalt not, it brings death. The wages of sin is death, okay? We, if you disobey, you know, choose life or death. Uh, and, and if you choose death, that's, that's going to be the result if you disobey the Lord. <clears throat> now, he says, until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now, Paul is not contradicting himself. There was still sin in the world, he says. And even though the, the law at this time, between Adam and Mount Sinai, there was no codified law, as it were, Ten Commandments and 600 and some odd other laws. But Paul tells us in Romans 2 that even without the law of Moses, the law of God is written in our hearts. That's what we call the conscience, okay? Every human being is born with a conscience. The law is written on their heart, even though they may not have the law in a codified table of stone uh, as Moses got on Mount Sinai. Okay? However, so, and sin was in the world, and sin also was being punished before Moses. Right? 
We, we know from Noah's day, God, that was a punishment. The flood was a judgment because of sin. We know about Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a judgment because of sin. So God had given people uh, directives even during that time period. So, uh, so it doesn't mean that people didn't have any rules to obey. People didn't have any knowledge and that people were not culpable. Okay, are you with me? Nobody blew their horn. You're not with me. I get, all right. So one person is. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Let's keep going. <clears throat> so now, now we're going to get to verse 14. It says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, or in other words, from creation unto Mount Sinai. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over, now this is the key to understanding all of it. This is, this is what it all hinges on. Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. What was Adam's transgression? Adam disobeyed a direct order from God. God had said to Adam and Eve, do not eat. Do not eat from this one tree. And Adam disobeyed. Adam disobeyed that one command. And by that one act of disobedience, Adam disobeyed a law. And by disobeying that law, sin came into the world. And with sin, death came. And then death passed upon who? All people. Even after those who had not sinned after the, the matter of Adam's transgression. Now, what is Paul getting at here? Okay. <clears throat> it's really simple, but it's complicated too. There's a graveyard here, and there's a lot of people that are buried in this graveyard. And there's a lot of people in St. Jude's Hospital right now with terminal cancer, little babies. And the reason they're in the hospital right now is not because they disobeyed, because they don't know right from wrong. They didn't have the law of Moses. Those little kids in the hospital, they don't know right from wrong. The mentally ill, they're not morally responsible. Those who, who don't uh, understand the codified law of Moses. And yet... Death still reigns over them. Do you understand that? Even innocent babies die, and they die not because of what they've done, but because of what Adam did. The sin of the one impacted the, the many, all of us. One man's disobedience affected everybody because of Adam's sin death entered into the human race and because of this one man's action everybody is impacted by that one act even those who didn't disobey in the same way that Adam did all right and it says that Adam is a type for us now some of you think well if I had been in the garden I would not have done what Adam did no you would have done exactly what Adam did. Adam was, Adam was not chosen among many people. Adam was created by God. God created Adam to be your, your representative. You wouldn't have chosen a better person. God himself created Adam to be your... Adam was the best the world had to offer. Adam is the best man has ever been. Now, you may not believe this, but it's the truth. Adam is the best that man has ever been. He was created in glory. He was created to live forever. He was not tainted by sin. He reflected the glory of God. That's why the fall of man is so drastic 
and had such devastating consequences is because man was created in the image of God. Adam represents the best of what we are. And yet, he disobeyed God in perfection. Adam disobeyed God in a paradise. Not tainted by age and, and, and all of the, the effects that sin that we live with today. Many years. So Adam represents the best of us, and yet he still sinned. So you would have done the same thing in the Garden of Eden. You would have done it faster than he did. <laughs> I guarantee you he probably held out longer than you would have. All right. Now, enough about Adam and his career. Let's talk about the second Adam. Let's talk about the last Adam. Let's talk about the one who did things right. <clears throat> I'm excited. I don't know if you are or not. He says in verse 15, but, but Adam, Jesus is different than Adam. He says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. In other words, what Jesus did is diametrically opposed to what Adam did. And, and it is a whole lot better than what Adam did. He says, for if the, through the offense of one, many be dead, much more. You see that phrase, much more. The grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Hath superabounded unto many. So Adam's sin had devastating consequences. That's why we have cemeteries and funeral homes. Because of what Adam did. And whether you like it or not, whether you have any say so in the matter, it is a truth. Just like the law of gravity. I don't understand the law of gravity. I don't understand how it all works. But guess what? I'm still subject to it. If I jump off that building, and you know I'm not going to because I'm scared of heights. But if I jump off that building, I'm not going to fly. Am I? I'm going to sink. I'm going to, I'm going to fall. Why? Because I'm subject to the law of gravity, even though I don't understand it. And if you're born into this world, you are subject to the law of sin and death because of what Adam did. Whether you accept it or not. Death is real. You say, well, I don't believe in death. That's okay. Your time is coming unless Jesus comes uh, before then because we're all born in this world with an expiration date. <clears throat> but what Jesus did has abounded unto many. Verse 16, he says, And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was one to condemnation. This word is used three times in the book of Romans. But the free gift is of many offenses under justification. So let's think about this for a moment. Let's contrast this another way. Okay, he's contrasting the, the, the sin and the gift. So the one sin, that one act of disobedience brought condemnation. That one act of sin brought condemnation for everybody. But the free gift is of many offenses under justification. So one sin ruined things for all of us but one perfect sacrifice <laughs> is sufficient not just to undo what adam did not just to forgive one sin but to forgive billions of sins that would be <laughs> committed over over thousands of years one man's sacrifice is powerful enough to cleanse the sin of the whole world hallelujah hallelujah one man's one man's sacrifice is powerful enough to take away the sin of the whole world. So if you're struggling with guilt this morning, I've got good news for you. You don't have to be guilty anymore because there's one that's paid the price for you. He took your guilt upon himself 
And if you'll accept it by faith today, you can go home with a clear conscience today. All right, verse 17. For if by one man's offense, and this is again Adam, death reigned by one. Death is a powerful force, isn't it? I mean, it is. Death is inescapable. Death is a horrible, horrible thing. You know, that's why coronavirus has so much power over this world. You realize that? Now, I'm not here to debate, you know, all of the logistics of, uh, uh, of what's going on with the pandemic and, and everything. I've got opinions about it. If you want to know my opinion, you can ask me about it. But you know why this thing's got such a hold on the world? It's because the world is under the tyranny of death. Everybody's scared to death to die. Pardon the pun. Everybody's terrified to die because they don't think that there's a life beyond this. They don't, they've not experienced eternal life. Now, I know the Christian still has fears about the unknown, you know, and I, and I understand that. I'm sensitive to that. <clears throat> I'm not particularly excited about dying myself, you know. Uh, even though I know where I'm going, there's still kind of the fear of the unknown. Everybody has that. But the world is under a different kind of tyranny. The world is terrified of death because for the world, this life is all there is. And that's why the, the pandemic has a stranglehold on this world. It's, and that's why people are just paralyzed with fear. Because they can't, they can't conceive of a life beyond what they've got right here and now. Okay? So death is universal. And death's power is pervasive. Sin's power is pervasive. Every day we live with the effects of sin. Every day I am cognizant of my sin. I don't know if you are or not. But every day I, I, I'm cognizant of it and I hate it. I'm like Paul in Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Some days you don't feel saved. Can I get a witness? I mean, even Christian people. You know, that, you know all the Bible verses. You, you can quote them one by one. And yet sometimes you wake up and by golly, you don't feel saved. Right? Because, you're, because you know you've got a sin nature. I know what I'm capable of. I know what I've done. And I know what, if God doesn't help me, I know what I'll do today and tomorrow. Death is universal, and its power, and that's why he says it reigns. Death reigns, folks. But, <laughs> oh, glory to God. Some of you are going to get it this morning. Some of you are going to get it, and, and for the, the light bulb's going to go on, go on for you. Some of you are going to get it here in the parking lot. Some of you are going to get it watching on Facebook. Some of you are going to get it on the way home. Some of you, it's going to hit you about 3 o'clock in the morning. And if it does, don't call me. You call me when you wake up, you know, during regular business hours. No, that's okay. If God wakes you up and you, you feel like you need to call me at 3 o'clock, go ahead. This is going to, Even as death, verse 17, even as by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more, see this, much more, they, who's the they? That's you and me. That's us. They who receive the abundance of grace. Now, now that's why the Bible doesn't teach universal salvation. Let me, I, this is an important note. Some people say, well, Adam's death brought... Uh, condemnation to everybody and Jesus's death then means that everybody will be saved eventually nope 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 that's not what the Bible teaches Paul doesn't contradict himself Paul's been talking about the wrath of God for those that don't believe the wrath of God Paul's not contradicting himself Paul is not teaching universal salvation here salvation is for who it is for those in verse 17 that receive grace okay are we on the same frequency the same wavelength okay he says, just as one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more, they which receive abundance of grace, notice not just a little bit here. Remember that little, was it Brill, Brillo cream or Brill cream? They used to say a little dabble, do you? <laughs> this is not a little dabble, do you? They which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall what? Shall reign. 
Now, somebody just got it. <laughs> now, death reigns over the human race, and all who are in Adam are under its tyranny. The book of Hebrews says they're all through their lifetime subject to the fear of death. Death just hovers around like a dark cloud for the world. But for the one who receives the grace of God, now it doesn't just say that grace will reign. I want you to notice the antecedent here. Notice who's going to reign. Us. The ones who receive are going to reign, not in death, but in what? In life. And that's why in Romans chapter 6, Paul's going to say this, and I don't want to steal my own thunder. <laughs> but Paul's going to say, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And he says, let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it therein. That's just a little tease for you. That's coming up. We were under the tyranny of death, but now by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we're not just delivered from slavery, but we've been anointed as kings. You say, well, I don't feel like a king. I know. Most days I don't either. I put my pants on one leg at a time, and I deal with, uh, with, with the consequences of sin and, and a fallen nature just like you do. But John says in the book of Revelation that Jesus Christ, he's washed us in his blood and he's done something for us. He's made us kings and priests unto God. <laughs> one day, one day, you and I are going to rule and reign in a resurrected body with Jesus Christ. We are heirs and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what you feel like. This is the truth of it. Therefore, verse 18, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all on the condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men. And again, that all men are those who receive, in verse 17, upon all men unto justification of life. And so that's why Paul can say in Romans chapter 8, and I can't wait till we get there, because it's probably the greatest chapter in the whole Word of God. It opens up this way. There is therefore now no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. <laughs> can you tell I'm wound up this morning? I can't help myself. You got a little breeze going this morning. It feels good out here. Uh, we're, we're coming to the, to the runway here, I'm, but I got to circle a few more times. Kind of like Maverick and Goose going around the tower in Top Gun. You ever watch that movie? I just got carnal for a minute. You know how they buzz the tower? I'm buzzing the tower here. We're, we're not ready to come onto the aircraft carrier just yet. It says in verse 19, For by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. And again, here the many is all. Just by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. By the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. All right. Hold your place and look with me in Luke's gospel really quick. In Luke's gospel. And we're going to go to the third chapter. Luke chapter 3. Now, Matthew's genealogy of Jesus Christ begins with, uh, with Abraham. Because Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish audience. And so his concern is to show that Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham and he's the son of David. And so that's as far back as the genealogy goes in Matthew's gospel. However, Luke takes a different approach. Whereas Matthew goes from Abraham to Christ Jesus, Luke goes from, uh, Luke goes from the Lord Jesus Christ, 
And he goes all the way back to our first ancestor. So let's pick up in Luke 3, verse, and, and I'll just pick up verse 37, which was the son of Methuselah. You know, he lived 969 years, but he still died because the reign of death, the tyranny of death. You know, we use that expression, he's old as Methuselah, but he still died. He still died because he was in Adam. Which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Malil, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam. And Adam was who? He was the son of who? God. He was the type. He was your representative. He was our figure. All right. Now, Luke ends here, the genealogy, he goes all the way back to the first man. The first man blew it. He blew it under pristine conditions, didn't he? You're still in Luke 3. You stay there. Luke blew it in the garden. Excuse me. Adam blew it in the garden of Eden. Not Luke. Luke wasn't born yet. Adam blew it in the garden of Eden. Under ideal circumstances, surrounded by love, surrounded by beauty, in a glorious state. Now, we just talked about Adam, who was God's son. Now, look at the son of God in chapter 4. It's no accident that Luke bookends it this way. Now we find Jesus, who's the second Adam, or more accurately, the last Adam. The first Adam blew it in the garden. Now we find the last Adam, not in a garden of paradise, but in a barren wilderness. And it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, Luke 4, 1, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, afterward he was hungered. So... Notice the contrast here. Adam blew it under ideal conditions, and by that one transgression, he ruined it for all of humanity. But there would be one who would be born of a virgin, of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Judah, son of David, of royal blood, who would come into this world. And where Adam blew it, there would be one who would live a perfect life. He would be tempted in every way, just like you and I are. He would be our second federal head, if you will, our second representative. And he would be tempted in all points like as we are, and yet without sin. Adam lost his duel with the devil. Jesus Christ defeated him summarily. He triumphed over principalities and powers ruling over them now let's go back to romans chapter 5 and we'll conclude now some might object we're in romans 5 verse 20 some might conclude well adam was a figurehead he was a federal head jesus is a federal head how about moses you know moses figures very prominently into old testament history maybe moses is a federal head also the jews took great pride in having the law and it was a special thing that God gave them the law. That was, it made them the peculiar people that they were. No other people had a law like God gave them. Okay, So some might be saying, okay, well, what about Moses? Surely he's, in, surely he's a figurehead too. And this, this, this thinking is prominent. Remember when, when the Mount of, you read about the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter was there. And you remember what he said? He saw Moses and Elijah. And he said, do you want us to build 
three tabernacles, you know, one for you, Jesus, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You see, Peter didn't quite understand, he didn't quite understand yet, that Moses and Elijah, as great as they were, great Old Testament figures, they, they pale in comparison to the one, Jesus Christ. And so there was not going to be three tabernacles made, and that's why God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son, hear him. There's only one that, that receives the preeminence here. So the law entered, notice what Paul says, the law entered that the offense might abound. In other words, the law didn't make everything okay. The law made everything worse. <laughs> because now the law makes everybody even more culpable than those who lived prior to Moses. Because the law shows us just how exactly sinful we are. And that's why now Paul says, I had not, I had not known lust. He says this in chapter 7. Paul said, I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. You see, what the law does for us is it shows us how exceedingly sinful we are. The law was never given as a means of salvation. The Ten Commandments were never given as a means of salvation. The law was not. But the law entered in that, that the offense might abound. <laughs> but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. God's grace is bigger than your sin. Your past sin... Your present sin, your future sin. God's grace is bigger than all of that. So, so you, you, need not, you need not suffer under the weight of guilt and condemnation anymore. You need not spend another day of regret. You can't do anything about the past anyway. There's not one thing you can do about yesterday to change it. There's not one thing you can do. I'm preaching to somebody here this morning. Somebody needs to get this in, their, in your brain. Because you've got it in your mind that your sin is so big. You ever feel that way? I know I do. Sometimes I feel like my sin is so big that my sin is so astronomical, you know. But listen, God's grace is bigger than your sin. God's grace is so much bigger than your sin. Now, this is not a license to sin, and Paul's going to deal with that in chapter 6. But if you have asked God to forgive you of your sins, let it go. God's not holding it against you anymore, so don't hold it against yourself. I think sometimes the, the hardest person in this world to forgive is yourself. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Verse 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin has reigned unto death. And it still does for those who are in Adam. Even so might grace reign through righteousness into eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to share something with you, something that happened to me this week. <clears throat> and, I, and I'm giving God all the glory. I'm not, this is not anything where I'm claiming to be special or to have some kind of revelation or insight that nobody else has. You ever read some stuff in the Bible and it just troubles you? You know, you try to reconcile several thoughts. I've been reading, reading a lot in the Old Testament lately. And uh, as you read the Old Testament, you see human beings, uh, if I could use this expression, you see them warts and all. You, you see Abraham, you see him lying. <laughs> lying about Sarah being his sister. And he did that twice, by the way. <laughs> and who knows how many times before then. That's just the only two that the Bible records. You see Abraham lying. 
You see Noah getting drunk and exposing himself and cursing his kid. and You see David, the man after God's own heart. You, you see him committing murder. You see his, his boys committing incest. You see Solomon, supposedly the smartest guy who ever lived, and, and yet he's worshiping other gods. And You see even Moses, even that great man Moses, the meekest man on the face of the earth, he broke all Ten Commandments at one time. Sorry, that's a bad joke. I, I, I keep telling it. Uh, you, you see Jephthah, he's mentioned in Hebrews. And, you know, we know about the terrible thing that he did. You see Gideon mentioned. The book of Hebrews, especially, you read chapter 11, and it talks about all these heroes of the faith. Abraham, he was, he was a flawed person. Isaac was a flawed person. He did the same thing his daddy did. Isaac lied about Rebecca being his sister. Jacob... Man, if anybody was a scoundrel, it was Jacob. That's why God had to change his name to Israel, because Yaakov in Hebrew means trickster. <laughs> his name means... Jacob was a scoundrel. How about Lot? You know, this one really troubled me. Lot, you read... When you read Genesis, you get the impression that Lot was not a real good guy. I mean, he's, uh, he's pitched his tent towards Sodom. He, he's arguing with Abraham about you know, not having enough room for his cattle. And he, he chooses Sodom because he believes that's the choice place and he gives Abram the leftovers. Are you with me here? Are y'all still with me here? I'm, I'm building a case for you here. I'm showing you what God showed me this week. He woke me up in the middle of the night, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, and showed me this. And I was thinking about Lot, you know, and, and Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. Lot eventually ends up kind of like the mayor of Sodom, you know. We find him as the, in the gate of the city, and, and eventually, the angels practically have to drag Lot out of Sodom. You ever read the, have y'all read that in the Bible? I'm not just making this up. You know, the angels are telling Lot, man, you got to get out of here. It's about to rain fire and brimstone. And Lot's like, eh, okay, you know, let's have some, some tea and crumpets. And, and, and Lot, you know, his wife dies. And, and, and then eventually, Lot commits Incest. He gets drunk and commits incest. It's where the Ammonites and the Moabites, you know, come from. But then you get over in 2 Peter. You get over in 2 Peter. And I'm going to read it. That way I don't misquote it. This just jolted me like a lightning bolt out of I woke up just couldn't hardly function. <laughs> now in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. The Bible says this, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Now verse 7, And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day, with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. Okay. Now, when you read 2 Peter 2, verse 8, does that lot sound like the same lot you read about in Genesis? Now, I don't know about you, but to me, it almost sounds like two different people. Because <laughs> I read about lot in Genesis, and I see this is a guy who continually makes bad choices. And so here's what the Lord showed me. That just as death reigned from Adam to Moses, and death still reigns, 
Even so, the abundance of grace through Jesus Christ, so much more where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Under the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the book of the generations of Adam. And do you know what the Old Testament, you know to get to the last book of the Old Testament, which is uh, the Italian prophet Malachi. Sorry, another bad joke, Malachi. The last word of the Old Testament is what? It's a curse. The last word of Malachi is curse. The Old Testament ends with curse. The book of the generation of Adam is, the, the chapter is closed with curse. Now the New Testament begins with Jesus Christ, the generation of Jesus Christ. And the book ends, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, ends, and guess what? There's no more curse. And so what, what happened in the pages from Genesis to Malachi is before the grace of God came. And Jesus Christ came, and he shed his blood, he lived a perfect life, he offered a perfect sacrifice, and now... Hallelujah, help me to preach it, Lord Jesus. Now, all that stuff that happened under the Old Testament, even Lot, his record has now been expunged. So now, when God looks at Lot, he doesn't see all that mess he did in Genesis. What he sees is the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's how the Bible can say that, that Lot is a perfect man. He's a righteous man because he believed in the Lord and it was accounted unto him to, for righteousness. I hope you get this this morning. I hope it's resonating deep within your soul that when God sees you, if you're in Christ, he doesn't see you. He sees the blood. He sees the perfection of his son. And that so you and I, even though we're not there yet, hallelujah, we're going there one day. We're as good as there because those that he justified, them he also glorified. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Brother Ronnie, would you come... And sing us a song and, and play us into the presence of God. Listen, you don't have a choice about being in Adam. You don't have any choice about it. You came into this world as a son of Adam. In Adam, you sinned. And you say, well, I don't believe that. Well, this graveyard behind me is, is testimony to the fact that you and I are still subject to what Adam did thousands of years ago. However, you don't have to stay in Adam. We don't have any choice about it. But we can be in Christ. The only way to be in Christ, Jesus said in John's gospel to Nicodemus, he said, marvel not, I said unto you, you must be born again. You have to be born twice. We're all born sons of Adam, but I invite you this morning to become a son of the living God by faith in Jesus Christ. He says he came into his own and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ this morning, all you got to do is say, Lord, I believe. By faith, I accept. I turn from my sins. Save my soul. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And, and saints, I'm talking to you Christians this morning. Some of you, you go to bed every night with the weight of the guilt of things you've done in your past. It's time for you to let it go once and for all. It's time for you to just let it be washed under the blood and understand that when God sees you, he doesn't see you. He sees the sacrifice of his son. Would you pray as they sing?